Hey, uh, you know, on my study break this summer, God was just rocking me and, and doing some neat things in my heart. And a couple of things that he impressed upon my heart this summer are that I and, and we need to return the real Jesus, the real Jesus, to his rightful place in our hearts and in our church as the supreme treasure that we cherish above all else, the real Jesus. And along with that is, is another thing he impressed on my heart is the importance of returning the gospel of Jesus Christ to its rightful place in our church as our central message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And shortly after that, I just kind of called an audible and uh, changed swapped out our fall series, the one I had planned, I just kind of put it on hold, and, and I just felt impressed that we needed to take some time as a church to recenter ourselves on the message of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to do that the next number of weeks. I don't even know how many weeks we'll do this till we all get it, <laughs> I guess, and, and are embracing it. And so we want to recenter on the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, understanding it, appreciating it, valuing it, living it out, sharing it, gospel. You know, sometimes we need to put things in perspective. If you look at our country and what's going on, and, and you, you look at the problems that we face in our country, the economy and, and joblessness and health care reform, and all those things, and certainly those are things that need to be addressed. But in the grand scheme of things, those things pale in comparison to our real problem, which is that mankind is alienated from his creator because of sin and because of rebellion. Isn't this the truth? That's the, that's the main problem that we face, and the glorious gospel is a message that addresses that problem. And so we're going to be talking about the gospel. And we're going to take it slowly. And we're going to look at it from a lot of different angles. And we're going to talk about and expose false gospels that are floating around. And uh, I'm going to say some things probably over the course of the next few weeks that might rock you a little bit and, and maybe might be a little bit different than what you were taught or what you've heard growing up. And we're going to look into the scriptures a lot, so bring your Bible or your iPod or your Kindle or whatever it is you read the Word of God on these days. We're going to look into the scriptures together. And I know that in this room, we have people all across the spectrum when it comes to the gospel. Some of you have seminary degrees, and you've studied this in depth, and you could run circles around the rest of us when it comes to explaining the gospel of Jesus. Others of you are just kind of like checking out Christianity for the first time. You don't even know, you're not even sure what the gospel is. To you, it's a kind of music, you know, that originated in the South somewhere and has kind of a nasal twang to it, gospel music. And we have folks at both ends of the spectrum and at all points in between. And my hope and prayer is that if, if that's you today, if you're kind of checking out Christianity and exploring it, you'll need to understand that Believing and embracing the gospel is how you become a Christian. It's how you become a follower of Jesus Christ. If you, are, if you already consider yourself a Christian, I hope and pray that you begin preaching the gospel to yourself every day as a Christian. 
Reminding yourself of what you were saved from and what you are being saved from and what you will be saved from through the gospel. And if you are one of those who has a seminary degree and you know all this stuff already, and maybe it's become kind of stale and old to you, I'm praying that God will reawaken you to the gloriousness of the gospel and that you will share it with a fervor and a zeal that maybe has been lacking. You see, I, I think the gospel... Is like a diamond. Now, ladies, brace yourselves. Get a hold of yourselves. I think the gospel is like a, a beautiful, cherished diamond that we would hold up to the light and turn in our hands and observe the beauty of the facets of the diamond and we would cradle it carefully in our hands and cherish it. I saw this one on Craigslist and shelled out a few million just to be able to bring it here for you today to illustrate the gloriousness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe the gospel is like a diamond and we're going to hold it up to the light and we're going to see the brilliant light of God's truth refracted through the facets of the gospel and we're going to admire it and cherish it and value it and treasure it. But you know, the the analogy really ends there because the gospel of Jesus Christ compared to a diamond, there's really no comparison. (laughs) A diamond is like a cheap plastic, you know, play diamond in a play set compared to the true worth and the intrinsic value of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to explore the diamond of the gospel together. I hope you're ready for that. Today is going to be kind of a pretty quick glance because of time that I hope will... um, Stimulating you a thirst and a hunger to know more and to to dive deeper. And so we're going to look together today at five facets, five beautiful facets of the gospel diamond together. And just marvel at the gospel of God, okay? You have some notes there and uh, you can pull those out. There's a lot of scripture on there. I'm not going to take the time to go into each and every scripture, so you media shout people just know that. I'm going to move pretty quickly, but the first facet that I want us to understand about the gospel diamond today is that the gospel was God's idea. Would you say that with me? The gospel was God's idea. Now, the word gospel means what? Do you know? It means good news. The gospel is a message of good news that originated with God. It was his idea. He thought of it. One man said that... um, Man could not have invented the gospel if he wanted to, and he would not have invented the gospel if he could. It is of God. In Romans 1, Paul describes the gospel just by that, uh, using that label, the gospel of God. The gospel is God's idea. God planned it in eternity past. It says the lamb was slain from the creation of the world, the foundation of the earth, It was planned in the mind of God in eternity past. God promised it in the Old Testament, predicted it, promised it. It says Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Prophesied, predicted, promised in the Old Testament, and then in the first century revealed to the apostles of God. Revealed to God's apostles. Here's what Paul wrote in Galatians 1.11. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. 
I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. The gospel was God's idea. He planned it. He predicted it. He revealed it to his first century apostles. They proclaimed it. They preached it. But they acknowledged it came from God. We did not make this up. We didn't, you know, it didn't come from our imaginations. It's been revealed to us by God, and we are compelled, Paul wrote, to proclaim the gospel. The gospel was God's idea, and it was a plan. You say, what do you mean by that? A plan? What kind of a plan? What's the plan all about? The second facet of the gospel. The gospel is a plan, God's plan, for reconciliation. Would you say that with me? The gospel is God's plan for reconciliation. Remember I said that man, mankind, is separated from his creator, God. David wrote, I was born in sin. In iniquity did my mother conceive me. It's not a popular message these days because we like to believe that we're pretty good. As human beings, we do good things. We like to believe that, that God is you know, all loving and he sees the good things we do and it's all good between us. But the truth of the matter is, is that mankind is alienated and separated from our Creator. The Bible uses words like enemies. The Bible uses words like alienated. The Bible uses words like objects of wrath. God and man are at odds because of man's sinful rebellion and God's holy wrath. Ephesians 2.3, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now, in our culture, this kind of talk is frowned upon. I mean, just blurt that out in Starbucks next time and just see what reaction you get from people. This is not a popular message. Objects of wrath? You've got to be kidding me. Again, we're going to talk about this more in upcoming weeks, but, but understanding this is essential to grasping why the good news is really good. You see, by nature, we came into this world sinful and rebellious with a bent not towards God, but a bent away from God. We know this, don't we? We who have children. Do you have to teach your children how to be bad? Or how to be good. Listen, they know how to be bad. <laughs> we come into this world selfish, self-absorbed, rejecting of authority, not wanting people to tell us what to do. It's in us. We got it from our parents. They got it from their parents. It's been handed down since Adam and Eve. There is no one righteous, the Bible says, not even one. No one understands. No one who seeks after God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it says. This is our condition as human beings. And because of that, God's righteous and just and holy wrath, yeah, rests upon mankind. You say, I don't like that. It's the truth the truth about the human condition. 
separated from God, a, a chasm between us, a divide, a great divide because of our rebellion and God's wrath. And the plan, the gospel plan, is to bridge that divide, to bridge that chasm and reconcile us to our creator God. You see, God is holy and he's also loving. And the love in the heart of our creator said, you know what? They're wicked, they're sinful, they're rebellious. They don't worship me, they don't glorify me as God, they don't thank me for who I am, but I love them. And God crafted a marvelous diamond plan to reconcile mankind to himself. The gospel. And that plan involved satisfying his justice and reconciling mankind to himself by sending to us a savior. Or as I like to say, a savior king. Listen to the words of Colossians 1, 19 through 23. It's not on your notes. I think it's going to come up on the screen. Just listen. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, in Christ. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. Remember, we were enemies. Making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Romans 5, 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through The gospel was God's idea, and the gospel is a plan crafted in the mind of God to reconcile sinful mankind with his holy self. You see, in a sense, Jesus died for God. You see, I thought he died for me, for my sins. Well, he died for your sins. But do you know why he had to die for your sins? To turn away God's righteous and holy and just wrath that we deserve because of our sins. That's why he had to die. So in that sense, Jesus died to satisfy the just wrath of God against sin. These are big thoughts, aren't they? Big notions, theological things, but true. Most of us really don't realize how offensive our race's sin is to our creator. You see, this diamond is beautiful and it's fascinating and it has intrinsic value and worth and it's a little unsettling, isn't it? We can't wrap our minds around it. The third facet of the diamond I've alluded to, the gospel, is not only God's idea, not only is it his plan for reconciliation, but the gospel is primarily about a person. The gospel is primarily about a person, Jesus of Nazareth. His plan is a person. 
Jesus. In fact, in a real sense, you could say Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the good news. Take away Jesus, take away his death on the cross, take away his resurrection, and you've neutered Christianity, or you have no Christianity, really. Jesus is the gospel, and I want to say to you, Jesus is more than you thought. He is so not that one-dimensional flannel graph figure that got depicted to you when you were a kid in Sunday school, and they said, this is Jesus. He is so not that. He is so more than that. He is. He's more stunning, more beautiful, more holy, more meek, more ferocious, more holy. He's more. He's more than we thought. He's so much, I can't get my puny mind around all that Jesus Christ is. And yet in our culture, we want to make Jesus into our image, don't we? We want a palatable Savior. We want one who's kind of like us and thinks like us and shares our values. One man said, God created man in his, his own image and then man returned the favor. And so many have created a Jesus that they want to believe in and want to think exists. And it's idolatry. It's not him. It's a false, inaccurate picture of the real Jesus Christ. He's more. At its core, Christianity is a person. It's really true, isn't it? The words of the old song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The gospel is about Jesus. Fourth facet. The gospel is ultimately for the glory of God. And this is the facet of the gospel diamond that I've been most intrigued about lately, most fascinated by. The gospel is ultimately for the glory of God. We're going to talk about this a lot. It's stunning to realize that the ultimate purpose of the gospel is not the forgiveness of our sins. That's simply a means to an end. Being forgiven means that your, your rebellion against God and God's wrath against our sin gets removed so that we can glorify and delight in our creator forever and ever and ever. You see, the gospel is for the glory of God. It was his idea. He planned it for his own glory. Do you understand today that we live in a God-centered universe, not a man-centered universe? This is radical. This is, this is upheaval. For 1,600 years, people believed that the earth was the center of the solar system. From Ptolemy in B.C. all the way up into the 16th century, people looked up in the heavens. They saw the movement of the stars across the sky. They said... I can explain that. We're at the center of the solar system. Everything revolves around us. And a guy named Copernicus came along in the 16th century, and he said, I'm not so sure. I think there might be another explanation for what we see in the heavens. And he said to himself, I think we're actually just one of many planets that revolve around the sun. And it was so controversial because the 
the geocentric model for the solar system had become so embedded in the worldview, it had become part of the dogma of the church, that everything revolves around the earth, that Copernicus was afraid that if he posited another theory, that he might get persecuted. So he wrote it all down and said, hey, publish this after I die, okay? And I'll take credit posthumously for this theory. And that's what happened. And and the people who embraced his sun-centered model, his heliocentric model for the solar system, often paid dearly in those days, some with their lives, by claiming that the universe, the solar system, revolves not around the earth, but around the sun. I'm telling you, it was a cataclysmic upheaval. It was a paradigm shift. You mean to tell me that we're not at the center of the universe? That the sun is the center of the universe? And the same kind of cataclysmic upheaval is taking place today as more and more people are realizing we're not at the center of the universe. The sun, S-O-N, Jesus, is at the center of the universe. All things were created by him and for him. For him. You and I were created for his glory. We live in a sun-centered universe. And the gospel, as much as it benefits us and is a blessing to us, and we do partake of its benefits, its ultimate aim and purpose is for the glory of God, that you might fulfill your created purpose of delighting and enjoying and loving your creator forever, and you can't do that until you embrace the gospel because God's wrath and your rebellion form a barrier and they are in the way. And the gospel removes the barrier when you embrace it and believe it, and then you can fulfill the created purpose that God had in mind when he made you. The ultimate purpose of the gospel is not primarily to get you to heaven. It's to get you to God. You say, is that in the Bible? Yes, First Peter 3.18. For Christ died for sins once for all. That's the gospel. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. What I'm saying is that the ultimate purpose of the gospel is not so that we can be thrilled with our heavenly mansion and streets of gold and see our loved ones in heaven, good as those things are. The purpose ultimately of the gospel is so that we can be completely happy and totally joyfully satisfied in God above everything else so that all living creatures, people and angels and demons and yes, even Satan will see the infinite worth and value of God through us. It's not so that God can make much of you. It's so that you can make much of God. Heaven is not going to be a hall of mirrors. (laughs) It's not. Paul wrote, he calls you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You might participate in glorifying Jesus. The ultimate purpose of the gospel is for the glory of God. And the fifth facet, the last one we'll look at is this. The gospel message has a focal point. It's a cross. The gospel message has a focal point. A cross. That's why Paul, this has really struck me and convicted me because I 
get to preach a lot. Paul wrote this, these words, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, that's my message. That's my central message. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Everything needs to be tied back to Jesus Christ and the cross. It's ironic, isn't it? That the fulcrum of human history stands a blood-stained, rough-hewn piece of timber, a Roman cross, stands at the fulcrum of human history. This instrument of execution? That would just be weird if it weren't for the gospel. So much happened on that cross that Jesus hung on that it would blow our minds if we truly understood it. So much was achieved there. So much was purchased. So much changed. The proclaiming of the gospel is the proclaiming of a Savior nailed to a cross, pierced for our sins, all to satisfy the just wrath of a holy God who hates our sin. The psalmist wrote that at the cross... Righteousness and peace kiss each other. On the cross, the holy wrath of God against sin was satisfied because it was absorbed in the Son of God. At the cross, justice met mercy and mercy prevailed so that God might be, as Romans says, just and the justifier of those who put their faith in Jesus. At the cross, Righteous wrath was completely satisfied there, leading to a flow of grace. Big, huge gospel blessings flow in the stream of blood flowing down from the cross. The focal point of the gospel message is a cross. The empty tomb, of course, completes it, showing God's pleasure with the sacrifice, but it's the cross that achieved it. No wonder Paul exclaimed, may I never boast, may I never boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ. I wonder, what are you boasting in today? What are you bragging about? What are you proud of? Your house? Your achievements? Your position in the marketplace? Your gifts? Your abilities? Your awesome kids? What are you boasting in? Paul said, I got nothing to boast in except that. Except what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. I am a saved, born again, redeemed, blood-bought man who can now glorify my creator because the barrier of the wrath of God and my rebellion has been removed because I embraced the cross of Jesus. Do we get this? Do we get it? This is the gospel. You say, what is the gospel? Here it is. The gospel is God's plan for reconciling sinful mankind to himself through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, for his own great glory. That's the gospel. That's the message that's got to get out. It's got to be proclaimed. It's got to be spread far and wide. Why? Because Jesus is worthy of everyone's praise, everyone's glory. You know what? The glorious gospel is so glorious to God 
mostly because of the unbelievable price his son paid. It is so glorious to God that God demands a response. You can't look at the cross and go, whatever. I mean, you can. But that would be tantamount to snubbing God. God demands a response. He demands this, that when we finally hear the gospel and the Spirit of God enlightens our hearts to understand it, that we turn away in disgust from our love affair with ourselves, that we turn away from our sin and our selfishness and our self-absorption and our rebellion and our rejection of God's authority, that we turn away from all that and we embrace the cross. We believe it. We believe the gospel. And he's so serious about it, in some places he even calls it obeying the gospel. Embracing it, loving it, believing it, saying I want that as mine, personalizing it. That's the response that God demands and holds the world accountable for. You see, to turn up our noses at this glorious plan for reconciliation that cost God so dearly, to count as nothing, something that he counts as precious, is to stand him up, to snub him. And that is a serious, serious, serious offense to God. Listen to the word of God. Here's the response. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. It's not removed, it's still there. 2 Thessalonians 1.8, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey. There it is. Do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. You say, I don't like that. I don't like hearing that. Friends, it does not matter what you or I like. What matters is what the word of God says. It's the truth. Great preacher of eras gone by, Charles Spurgeon, wrote this. The hearing of the gospel involves the hearer in a great responsibility. It is a great privilege to hear the gospel. You may smile and think there's nothing very great about it, but the damned in hell know. Oh, what they would give if they could hear the gospel now, if they could come back and entertain but the shadow of a hope that they might escape from the wrath to come. The saved in heaven estimate this privilege at a high rate. For having obtained salvation through the preaching of this gospel, they can never cease to bless their God for calling them by his word of truth. Oh, that you knew the gospel. On your dying bed, listening to a gospel sermon will seem another thing than it seems right now. (laughs) There's so much more. There's so much more to the gospel diamond. And we're going to look at it in its majesty. We're going to cherish it these next few weeks. For today, I leave you with this. Words from the lips of Jesus, Mark 1.15. Time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news, the gospel. That's the response. It's the only response that makes sense. Repent. 
Believe the good news. In our small group this past week, and I do hope that you process these truths in community, in your groups and with your spiritual partners and so forth. In our small group this week, one of the gals piped up and said, could we have a memory verse each week as we go through this series? And I said, sure. It's a great idea. So here's this week's. Let's say it aloud together. Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. One more time, Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. It's a wonderful offer to all. Would you bow your heads with me, please, for prayer? And I hope and pray that as we kind of unpack the gospel these next few weeks, that you will respond to it each week. The gospel demands a response. And I think even today, as you've heard what may be for you the familiar message, or maybe for the first time, the message of the gospel, I think the Spirit of God would want you to respond. We placed some crosses up here at the front of the auditorium. They're going to remain up for the whole duration of this series, just to remind us through the symbol of the cross of what Jesus did. The gospel demands a response, and with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder what, what's going on in your heart right now. You've just heard this. What's going on in your heart? I wonder what your response is, and I'm going to say some words, and if, if a word that I say describes what's going on in your heart, then just lift your hand quickly, and then you can put it back down. I'm just wanting to see what your response is. Did hearing the gospel today cause you to be curious? Curious? Intrigued? Grateful? Hearing the gospel make you feel loved today? Awestruck? How about convicted? Guilty? Bored? Uninterested? Sorry? Sorry for your sins? Sorry for your rebellion? Repentant? Glad in God? Just happy in God? You can put your hands down. Undoubtedly, there are some people in this room who have never embraced the gospel. Because of that, according to his word, the wrath of God is still remaining on you. And it doesn't have to. Because you can come to the cross and embrace and believe the gospel, what you've heard today. And in an instant, God will remove that barrier of your rebellion and his wrath. And then you'll begin to be able to glorify God as you were created to do. If that's you today, I invite you. We're going to stand and sing in a few moments to a wonderful song called The Wonderful Cross. And I invite you to come down and just kneel at the cross and do that. 
Many of you are Christians. You are believers. You're born again. And my hope and prayer is that you'll begin to preach the gospel to yourself every day to remind you of what you have been saved from and what you are being saved from and what you will be saved from. And some of you who are believers, who are Christians, need to come and just kneel at the cross or maybe put your hand on the cross and just reaffirm how precious the gospel and the cross is to you. And offer yourself again to the God who made up that plan, who crafted it. So believers, non-believers who want to come to Jesus alike, come and gather around the cross as we worship. Stand together with me. Respond to the gospel.